All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. It's really the continuation of the same story in the preceding recording. Jesus is at a dinner party. He's healed a man with edema, swelling in his joints, particularly his limbs. Then he's challenged both guests and the hosts to have a heart of self-lowering rather than a heart of self-promoting or self-advancing. His last statement in 1 through 14 is really the lead-in for this scene. He said that in that last statement, if you invite those who can't repay you and who are overlooked by society, you will be blessed. Particularly, he means blessed or repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's implied in what he says. Well, that leads one of the other guests at this dinner party to blurt out who he thinks will be blessed. And that's where we pick up here in Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. Verse 15 says, Now when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this person has his own views on who those are who will eat in the kingdom of God, and he seems to either be giving his opinion about who's really blessed in response to Jesus' pronouncement of blessing in the preceding verses, or he's essentially challenging Jesus to share his full views on the topic. Either way, this person who blurts this out is quite self-assured, it seems, that he's going to be there, and thus he's one of the blessed ones. That's what he seems to be saying, is that blessed are those who are actually going to eat bread in God's kingdom at the great messianic banquet that's yet to come. And he seems quite self-assured that people like him, they're the blessed ones, they're going to eat there. Now, we don't know his views for sure on the subject, since we're not specifically told but we could actually make some educated guesses. And the reason for that is because there's some significant backstory to his comment that leads into what Jesus is going to say in response to his comment. And that backstory begins with Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. There, in that passage, Isaiah paints a picture of, of the great banquet at the end of time when God would spread out a feast fit for kings. And in Isaiah's vision, the nations or the Gentiles, the word for nations or Gentile, both in Greek and Hebrew is the same word. So the nations in Isaiah's vision, they would be there too. But by Jesus's day, Isaiah's vision seems to have morphed and changed in Jewish thinking. One of the Jewish targums, a targum is a commentary or kind of a paraphrase on a passage. Well, one of the targums on Isaiah 25 uh, includes the Gentiles, because Isaiah mentions them there. It includes the Gentiles, but only so they can be plagued and shamed. Uh, another Jewish writing, First Enoch, includes the Gentiles at that Isaiah 25 feast as well, but only so that the angel of death can kill them. Um, and the Essene community, that's the community that seems uh, to have written the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's a particular 
group of Jews who were sort of a withdrawal society. They drew, uh, they withdrew from society because they wanted to be totally pure. Well, the Essene community made it clear that no Gentile would be present, in their opinion, that they just completely ignored that bit of Isaiah 25. No Gentile is going to be present. In fact, they made it clear that no one, catch this, no one smitten in his flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame, or blind, or dumb, or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish will be there. And so the Essene group said, man, none of those people will be there. What's interesting is those are the very same kinds of people that Jesus had just said in verses 13 and 14 to invite, uh, and that you would be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So while we don't know this guy who blurted uh, out blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. While we don't know his exact beliefs about it, two things seem obvious. Um, in his mind, those who will be blessed, those who will be there and be blessed in the kingdom of God are those who faithfully observe the law like he does and like the host of this party does. And two, the second thing is that uh, there's probably some in the room, probably some of those reclining around the table with Jesus, who hold the notion, like the Targums, like First Enoch, like the Essene community, who hold uh, those kinds of notions that certain people won't be uh, at that dinner party in the kingdom of God. In fact, the very kind of people that Jesus just healed at the start of the dinner party where he's at are automatically excluded, at least in some minds in Jesus' day. So, how does Jesus respond to what this guy says? Blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, here is how Jesus responds to his comment. Verse 16. But he, Jesus, said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many people. So the kind of people who always got invited are going to be pictured in people's minds, right? The, the notable people, the important people, the honorable people. So this, this wealthy person puts on a lavish dinner, and he's going to invite many people, the normal people who get invited. Verse 17, and at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to tell those people who had been invited, come, because everything is ready now. So we got to make sure we keep the flow of verses 16 and 17. An invite had been sent out. RSVPs had come in. Um, people had said, yes, I will be there, right? So the, the man giving the party had sent out invitations, and people had responded with, yes, I will be there. And of course, if you were invited, you said you would be there. I mean, this is a big dinner party for an honorable person. Your honor was at stake. His honor was at stake. And so they had said they would be there. Be based on the people who said they could be there, plans had been made. Uh, what kind of animal are we going to butcher? How many seats do we need? Uh, how large is this banquet going to be? So based on the initial RSVPs, plans have been made. The banquet preparations now were complete at verse 17, right? The banquet preparations were complete. So then the servant was sent back out to those who said they would be able to come and said, all right, all the preparations are ready. It's feast day. Um, please come to the feast. And then 
the invited guests who said they would be there are actually really honor bound to come. In an honor and shame culture, they had given their word. The host had butchered the appropriate size of animal and cooked the appropriate amount of food for the number of guests who said they would be there. So the invited guests are now told it's time to come to the feast, um, and they're honor bound to come. But here's what happens. Verse 18. And yet they all alike began to make excuses. They had all originally said they would be there. The host has planned what animal to butcher and all of that. And now as one, they're all standing him up and they're doing so with just says excuses in verse 18. But we're going to see some of the excuses and what follows. And we see that they are lame, shameful excuses that are clearly fabrications or at least clearly cheap excuses that uh, dishonor the host of the party. Here's the first excuse. The first one said to him, I purchased a field. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Now, again, this is sounds maybe like to us, oh yeah, that's important. He needs to go check out his field. But we need to remember that in Middle Eastern culture, um, no one ever bought a, a field by his land without inspecting it before purchasing it. Like they need to know where exactly are the boundary stones? How does the field lay out? Is it useful for farming? Where are the wells and where are the springs? Right? Like they would know all of this before they negotiated a price for the field. They would have to. That's just the way it worked. It's just just like in my culture today, no one would buy a house before inspecting it. Like Going out, looking at it, seeing how the house is put together, seeing the yard, seeing if the roof doesn't leak, right? Seeing what neighborhood it's in. You just go do that before you before you sign on the dotted line. True? Well, that's the same with land in their culture. Uh, and so this guy clearly is making up a lame excuse. Next one, verse 19. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go out and, and try them out. Please consider me excused. Again, um, Kenneth Bailey reminds us that the whole purpose of oxen, a yoke of oxen is a pair, right? So the whole purpose of oxen is to be able to work. And if you're going to buy five yoke, that's that's 10 oxen. That's five pairs of oxen. You'll always test drive your yoke of oxen before buying. Do the two yoke pull well together? How well do they work for you? Do these yoke actually, are they going to do their job, Right. And even if, even if it's the case, this guy, for whatever random reason, decided, I'm just going to spend all my money on a bunch of oxen and not even test drive them first. Even if that were the case, he's already bought them anyhow. He's already paid for them. Test driving them could wait for tomorrow. He could still go to the feast since he already said he would be there. And then the third excuse that's listed here, verse 20, and another one said, I took a woman as my wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Now, a few days ago, this person had said, oh, yes, I would I would be honored to come to your banquet. But now, now he has to stay home with his new wife. In their culture, what he says is extremely crude. Um, Bailey reminds us again that Middle Eastern chivalry has a dignified and respectful way of talking about your wife. And this isn't it. I took a woman as my wife. Um, and, and you don't certainly say things like this. Um, in public that imply you're going to be busy with honeymoon activities. 
That's just crude and rude. It would never be done. Notice he doesn't even ask to be excused. I just can't come. Um, these three excuses are lame excuses, cheap excuses. They're, they would be viewed as obvious fabrications and a clear attempt to shame and dishonor the host. Well, what happens in the story, verse 21, the slave who'd gone out and told everyone, it's time for the feast. The party's ready. The preparations have been made. Um, come, come and enjoy the banquet. Well, the slave came back, verse 21, and reported this to his master that they all made these excuses. Then the head of the household became angry and said to a slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here those who are poor, those with disabilities, those who are blind, and those who are limping. These are the very kinds of people that some Jewish groups said would automatically be excluded from that messianic banquet. And Jesus says, bring them in. He uses those same groups. In fact, these are the very people that Jesus had just told the host to invite to some of his dinner parties in verse 13. And notice that the host, that the head of the household, that his anger at being shamed and dishonored and snubbed and treated so disgracefully that his anger at that is immediately turned into compassion. Um, we're going to fill this banquet hall. I've got all these preparations. The meat's been cooked. We're not going to waste it. So go out there and get those people who normally would never get to come to a banquet like this. The poor, those with disabilities, those who are blind. So his his being treated shamefully is immediately turned into compassion. And notice what he says. He says, go out at once in the streets, in the city, and bring in here. And then he lists them off. And that phrase, bring in here, literally is the idea of being led in, lead in here. Perhaps because people like this couldn't have ever believed they would really be welcomed at this kind of feast. Um, but they're not simply invited. The language here isn't just go tell them that they can come to this feast if they want to. No, it's literally show them the way. Lead them here. Grab them by the hand. My, my, uh, my master has a banquet already. He wants you to come and lead them here. And so they're led and shown the way to the banquet hall. Well, the story continues in verse 22. And later the slave said to the master, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. So he led in here a bunch of the poor, the disabled, the lame, into the mass, into the banquet hall, and there's still seats available. There's still room. And so uh, the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and the hedges and press upon them to come in so that my house will be fulfilled. And it seems like now he's widened the circle even further to, to the roads and the hedges seems to suggest outside of town, outside of the city. So go beyond the city and, and press people to come in, which, which would really mean just go out there and get anybody. Go out there and get anybody and fill my banquet hall is the idea. And when he says press upon them to come, it doesn't mean compel them by force. It means don't take no for an answer. These people would have resisted. They've, they've got nothing to repay this man with. They're not dressed right. They certainly aren't the kind of people who would normally get invited. No, 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 I can't go to a banquet at his place. And and so compel them to come in. Persuade them. Don't take no for an answer. Say no, really, right? Get them to come in. And so they're persuaded to come in. And then verse 24, the story ends with, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. 
Now, here's a really important detail there in verse 24 that we have to think through. Throughout the parable, the master has spoken to his slave in the singular. So when he talks to a slave, right, it's it's a singular you um, in Greek. But here in verse 24, for I tell you, the you is plural, you all. Um, and so it's no longer the master speaking just to the servant. It's, I tell you all, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. So how should we understand the plural, you, you all? Well, most likely, it seems to me, that Jesus is speaking to those he's eating with as he wraps up the parable. So he's been telling this story in response to the sky. He said, blessed are those who are going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells this story. And as he wraps it up, it seems like in verse 24, Jesus is directly addressing you all around the table. But if that's the case, notice how verse 24 ends. None of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner, my dinner. Um, and so if that's the case, Jesus is now at this point in the story, in the conversation, he's, he's assuming the, the position of host in the parable. He is the head of the household. He's the master who has prepared the banquet. He's the master who's been treated shamefully with lame excuses. That seems to be what happens in verse 24. Is all of a sudden, at the end of this story, Jesus assumes the place of the master in the parable and speaks to those people around the table, you all, um, and thus, he's the host of the Messianic banquet. Um, and the point is, those who make excuses and don't come, don't come and gather around Jesus, don't gather to him, they're not going to be at the dinner and they're not going to be blessed, even if they were the first ones invited, even if they were the ones you would assume who would be at that party, they've got to gather to the master of the dinner banquet, and that master is Jesus himself. Well. Man, that's that's challenging. I think those initial those people sitting there, they have a lot to think about. Like, really, this this young traveling rabbi is the host of the messianic banquet. What does that mean? And so they've got to think that through. Not only that, they've got to think through the master of the banquet. If Jesus is him, he's offering an open door policy, an open invitation. Like, like he's willing to welcome blind, lame. Uh, disabled, diseased people at the banquet. He's willing to go beyond the city and invite anybody and everybody. Um, and so there's this open invitation to whoever might come, which completely challenges so much of the Jewish thinking that we we talked about in the Targums and First Enoch and among the Essenes, where they had a very limited view that it was only going to be the, the truly righteous and the faithful observers and the people like us. Those are the ones that are going to be there. Well, for Jesus, it's anybody and everybody who will come. And that implies mission. Like, if the invitation is that broad and that open, then we need to start spreading the invitation, right? There's a mission to that, as we see with the servant in the parable. And we see that mission then being carried out in the companion volume to Luke, the book of Acts, as the apostles begin to extend. And it takes them a while to get it figured out, but they slowly begin to extend it from um, Jews to Samaritans, from Samaritans to Gentiles to anybody and everybody who would come. So there's this mission that's implied in this open invitation.
uh, I, I would also add one other thought, particularly if we put ourselves in the position of the, the person who blurted this out, blessed are those, he seems very self-assured that he's going to be there, that certainly he's one of the righteous, and those are the people that really are blessed, not those lame and, and poor people that Jesus talked about in verses 13 and 14. Well, Jesus thinks, no, the lame and the poor are the ones who are coming. And this actually requires us to maybe go about our life with a little bit more humble circumspection than complacent self-assurance. We need to have the kind of humble self-circumspection that even the Apostle Paul models, say, for example, in Philippians chapter 3, where he talks about pressing on towards the goal. and Not that I've already arrived yet, but I press on towards the goal of the upward call. That We need to have this kind of humble circumspection that says, man, everything I am is because of the, the grace of God, and I, I, I don't exalt myself. I don't promote myself. Uh, I want to make sure that I am humbly accepting of the invitation of Jesus just as it is, rather than being full of complacent self-assurance. Well, you know, I grew up in the church, and my grandparents went to church, and I know my Bible, my Bible's all marked up. Let's have a little bit more humble circumspection that realizes uh, we're just grateful to be invited to the party like so many other people as well.